Hi, I'm Bee Heller, your host of The Pioneers, a podcast series in which I interview business founders and leaders who are pioneering new ways of working and management practices, all with the aim of creating inspiring company cultures. In series one, Kevin McDonough, founder of Navoda, shared his practical ideas for building culture across multiple geographies. Debbie Martin, Chief of Talent and People Experience at And Digital, talked about how structuring an organisation around clubs and tribes can maintain a strong sense of belonging despite rapid company growth. Roland Harwood, founder of 100% Open and new venture We Are Liminal, had some advice for leaders on how to practice what you preach especially when it comes to collaboration. And finally, I interviewed Stuart Bromley, Chief Operating Officer at Atom Bank, and he talked about what it really means to run a values-led digital bank. If any of that tickles your curiosity, then take a look back at our archives. But for now, let's get on with some new stories. Hi, I'm Bee Heller, your host of The Pioneers, a podcast series in which I interview business founders and leaders who are pioneering new ways of working and management practices, all with the aim of creating inspiring company cultures. Today, I'm interviewing Ted Jones, founder and CEO of Northcote Global Solutions, a company that not only applies military principles to the services they offer to their clients, but also to the way they run their teams. And it's much more caring than you might think. The head of HR here is a drill sergeant from the Grenadier Guards. Your average person on the street would think he would be about the most scariest man in the world, and I'm sure he has his moments. But in actual fact, he's hugely concerned about the welfare of the people in the organisation. The Pioneers is a podcast for business founders and people leaders who are striving to make their own workplaces deliver for their people and who want their culture to be a source of strength that's likely to drive the future growth of their company. I interview business founders and people leaders we can all learn something from. I try to get past the conceptual ideas and bring you the day-to-day habits and practices these businesses and leaders use to create and sustain their cultures. I'll bring you one pioneer each episode, so tune in for 30 minutes of wisdom and practical ideas that you can test in your own organisation each week. I'm Ted Jones, I'm the CEO and founder of Northcott Global Solutions, normally known as NGS, um, set up, I would say 10 years ago, it's not quite 10 years ago, um, 2010, um, to look at and solve the problem of international emergency assistance around the world. And can I ask you, why did you choose to set up NGS? It's probably worth starting from right at the beginning. Um, I was a professional rower for, for a period of time. Um, I then went and joined the army and while I didn't do any special forces stuff, I did spend most of my career on operational tours here, there and everywhere. Um, and on those tours I always got caught up in various kidnap cases. And so when I left the the army at the age of 30, I got a job working for a kidnap and ransom uh, insurance underwriter out of Guernsey. I then left there, having fallen out with the Venezuelan government quite significantly, um, and uh, got a job working for a uh, an insurance a Lloyd's insurance broker, um, Howden's, um, which I did for 18 or so months selling professional indemnity to the UK construction market, which was a bit duller than it sounds even, (laughs) Um, uh, after which um, 
I was commissioned to set up the operational side of an operation of a medical evacuation or medivac company um, out of Amman and Jordan, looking specifically at super high threat environment. And was it civilian medical evacuations? Yeah, um, and uh, exactly right. And the problem that you had in Baghdad, which was a microcosm of the global problem, was Baghdad also a very dangerous place. Um, up until that point, the US military had been evacuating people. And we're not talking about bombs and bullets here, okay? What we're actually talking about here is toothache and a car accident. That's what happens to people. Um, appendicitis. Yeah, indeed. It's happening in a country that where yeah. it's not home. Exactly right. And the civilian assistance model was always set up to look after people um, in the Western developed world, where, of course, the emergency is dealt with by the local ambulance service and the local doctors and hospitals and police. Um, and then the assistance industry, per se, gets itself involved to cost contain to make sure that their client, the underwriter, isn't being overcharged. Um, but there's no real emergency. Now, the problem is, is where increasingly travel patterns have changed exponentially in terms of geography, where people are going, and also in numbers. Now, everyone goes on holiday to Thailand or you know, Africa or Latin America or gets on their super yacht perhaps and floats around the oceans or, or whatever it might be and there simply is no 999-911 option um, and of course when I turned up in Baghdad whenever it was years ago um, I it was very obvious the US was stopping this sort of save all policy um, and said right you have to sort yourselves out um, and the, the people working there were turning around and saying right I'm going to buy insurance for this nothing wrong with insurance insurance always will pay um, but the response industry, the response companies or the assistance companies on the back of those policies were simply, it didn't compute, they simply could not go. And it's, it's not reasonable to expect a company that's going to look after you in the southern Spain holiday um, to suddenly be able to switch to a war zone in Iraq or Afghanistan. It's absurd. The military model is much, much more multidimensional than the civilian one, which essentially is put a doctor on a plane and fly out to you next week. So what we did is we went out hired initially eight now we've got 50 plus um ex army navy police medics air traffic control warrant officers um who are the people that run the CASIVAC chain the casualty evacuation chain in the army um we then looked at every country in the world through a prism of different potential client scenarios mm -hmm. medical will always be number one as i say we're talking about toothache and broken legs um to which we then added aviation, clearly, but then security, maritime, land transport, intelligence, tracking, travel management, satellite imagery, translation of that imagery, diplomatic, legal, um, movement of money, um, really as many aspects as we possibly could. We then threw it through a process of due diligence on these providers, these local providers. And do you provide both the insurance and obviously the operational yeah. cover in these situations, or are you a supplier to insurers uh, for the services it's, that you it's, provide? It's the latter. Um, so we have to be extremely careful and are extremely careful never to sell insurance, apart from yeah. else. We're not regulated to do that. So. Right. Cast your mind back to when you were first setting up NGS. Did you have a strong view in your mind about the way you wanted to run the company and the kind of, I would call it, culture that you wanted to instill in the organisation from the beginning? Uh, yes. I mean, I'd had a couple of jobs, as I said, after leaving the, uh, the army, but um, I was still very much 
of a military mind, the military unit, whether it's battalion down to company to platoon to section to fire team, is um, you, you look after your, your team. Um, and that was absolutely what we wanted to do, and that still works here. The head of HR here is ex drill sergeant from the Grenadier Guards. Now, if your average person on the street would think he would be about the most scariest man in the world, and I'm sure he has his moments, but in actual fact, he's hugely concerned about the welfare of, of the people in the organisation, um, and it's hugely skilled at it. Now, we pride ourselves on having a number of wounded veterans here um, physical, physically, but also... Um, post-traumatic stress disorder um, and by being in this environment um, I'm told by our medical people that it's very good for them to be with people who get it yeah. and if someone takes a day off because of the week because they need counselling or something they're fully endorsed by the company to do it no one makes a big song and dance about it because it's just the way the world is yeah what's been your proudest moment in um last 10 years? You know, we save, at the end of the day, we save a lot of people's lives, and that happens on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, if you get in, if you have a car crash here in London, then the chances are you're probably going to be all right, because you're in a decent vehicle, and the police will turn up, and there are ambulances, and it's a first world medical hospital you'll be in, and that's fine, but um, a solid 50% of what we do is comes to us because others can't do it. If you have a car crash in many parts of Africa, Latin America, you know, Far East, wherever it might be, um, you, that's when you need us, otherwise you, you're going to be in trouble. Is there a particular mem memorable customer or client, I don't know how you refer to them, story, um, that would, a, would be indicative of the sorts of things that you are doing daily. But yeah, I mean, again, some of the, uh, there's a, a, a good case for quite a high-profile young woman, Stephanie Ingalls, who was the Scottish judo um, player at the Commonwealth Games, and she was in Thailand. Again, this is a place where people go on holidays. We're not talking about war zones necessary. And unfortunately, her, her dress or her skirt got caught in the rear wheel of a moped, that hooked her off the back. She hit her head very, very hard. Her insurance had run out um, a month previously, um, but because she was quite a high-profile high individual, there was um, a sort of crowdfunding exercise um, back here in the UK, so ironically money wasn't a problem. Unfortunately then, um, and again this is indicative of, of my industry, unfortunately, um, it was seen as a sort of cash cow because the money was going up and up and up and up and up um, and they knew that if they hung back a bit the money would continue to go up and and it and sure enough it did and eventually the family just said look there's enough of this you know, we can't, we're just going to die she was given 1% chance of survival anyway um, uh, the company then tried to get them to, to, to get Stephanie's mark on the paper apparently um, which was in, in a coma which was difficult at which point the family just had enough and kicked them out of the hospital and that was that um they then were advised by the um, British FCO to go to another company, which they did. Um, unfortunately, there was then uh, um, strikes with the French air traffic control, so that fleet was grounded, um, at which point my business partner, uh, Richard Magnus, got hold of the family on Twitter, or whatever it is, um, and said, look, can we help? And this was after a two-week period. Um, and the expense was somewhere north of £300,000. Um, fortunately, they hadn't spent it yet. Um, three hours after that tweet was sent, she was airborne on her way back to the UK for a cost of 70000 It's just because it's not difficult. 
it's actually if you know what you're doing and you, you you're playing straight it's actually very easy and so that was a pretty good moment and wow. Stephanie is quite pleased she sent us a video saying thanks very much actually. so I listened to a story like that and there's an element of it as you've described it's just taking a different model so yeah. this is taking a military model to um, a civilian problem and we j- we know how to solve it yeah. which I can appreciate there's, there's process there's getting processes in place but there's also an element of care and doing the right thing yeah. that's uh, you could argue is reflective of the way you choose to run your business beyond just the processes how yeah how, how do you nurture that I hope that's the case I hope that's the case um, you know, if you do some, if if you're seen to behave straight, I'm don't, I'm not a perfect boss by any stretch of the imagination, not by a million miles, but if um if one is at least seen to be trying to do the best by both your staff um and indeed externally, um it's very very good for morale within the company. So how how many employees are you now? Fifty-four. Fifty-four. But to what extent do you think there is an opportunity for smaller businesses, startups, to offer a different kind of employee experience for people? I think there definitely is. Uh, we have an employee here, um, or two or three of them perhaps, but one lives in Spain, so he sort of does two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, and in actual fact, we're able to do that. In, in many, there are disadvantages. You simply don't have the um, financial firepower to... Um, uh, other some of these huge corporates who seem to me to waste vast sums of money on things, but anyway, it's up to them. Um, so you do have the ability to be flexible. Um, I'm very lucky, and again, the sort of warrant officer piece, they're going to work until their fingers bleed anyway, so I don't really... We, we have a very cheeky experience, just grown-ups. You know, you're grown-up, I don't mind where you work particularly. Um, again, I do think there is a need to have an established hub somewhere. We're here in the city because I'm looking at the Lloyds building over there. Um, we have um, a very smart, equally as expensive office, sadly, in, in Mayfair, because certain clients want the reassurance that you know, you've got smart rooms and all the rest of it. So does it actually make any operational difference? Not at all. Mm. Not simply not at all. But commercially, it does probably make quite a significant yeah. difference. Um, other other businesses, I'm sure, could have all their people working from home, and, and very good luck to them. Um, but we do need to spend the money to have reasonable offices, reasonable furniture and reasonable Reflecting computers. almost what your clients expect. Yes, exactly yeah. right. What's the biggest people management challenge um, you faced? The, the biggest one undoubtedly was really a start-up um, starting here in the city, which is an expensive place to do it, um, in 2010, really um, just as the, well not just as perhaps, but well and truly in the middle of the biggest financial crisis the world has ever seen, so I'm told. Um, there just wasn't any money. Private equity, forget it. Um, banks, forget it. Uh, so how did that impact? I can appreciate that's a because, hugely challenging business because, situation. Yeah, indeed, because you've got to pay your boys, to use the military expression. Now, we've got all sorts of boys and girls and everyone else here, um, but the, the the one thing that could never happen was that the team didn't get paid. There were a number of times when I just couldn't pay myself or the partners couldn't pay themselves, and that was that. Um, because you've got to be, you've got to keep everyone happy and reassured. And while I was absolutely convinced that we'd have success in the end, as unfortunately we have, um, you know, everyone's got mortgages and children and things like that. And the weight, the pressure that puts on one to simply not fail, failure is just not an option. So that's that. So I was lucky. I managed to borrow um, very much from 
my mother. Um, I've managed to borrow from a couple of friends of mine. Um, it's all been paid back now, I'm delighted to say. But, uh, yeah, you know, when you're scrabbling around um, halfway through the month with absolutely no idea how you're going to pay everybody. And what about the other end of the spectrum then? The things that you maybe learnt through experience, maybe knew you were going to do from the from the outset, but they've been most critical to your success from a people management perspective. Some of them we've touched on. Um, you sort of learn as you go along, don't you? We do have a phenomena here which has been really um, successful. We've got six different departments here, tracking travel management, the security aim, the, the direct and the uh, non-direct, the insurance, if you like, side. Um, three of those departments are now run by people who joined us as interns. Um, so, you know, 30 and younger, when you consider some of these old geezers here, um, are sort of <laughs> knocking on the door of 50 and such like. Um, and that's been fantastic, strictly speaking. We're, we're probably a tech company with teeth, if you like. <laughs> um, and of course, quite naturally, younger people um, are significantly better than me, but that says nothing at all. But they're very good at this sort of stuff. Um, and it, it's 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 like all things. It's um, very interesting. Uh, it's a bit like the relationship you have when one joins the army as a very junior officer. You know nothing at all, but you've got all the authority. Um, whereas your platoon sergeant knows absolutely everything, um, but he doesn't have the authority, or mm. not um, hard authority. Anyway. Um, and here you have very technically minded, hardworking younger people with people who are sort of much older, have been to war several times and all the rest of it, have more self-confidence and, and that, that sort of relationship. We don't really quite understand how the other team work, but we quite like them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, and that certainly happens here. So it, yeah, it works very, seems to work very well for us. What role do your old hands or the wise, the wise, experienced, <laughs> worldly wise, experienced... Uh, individuals in their company, what role do they play in developing others? Um, how does that relationship, or how have you witnessed that relationship working? Some of the older hands are frontline operators, so dealing with cases, and then you have others in the, in the management system, it's just horses for courses. As we get larger, um, we get more teams, but the teams don't get bigger, so, okay. you, know, so you have rarely as many as six people in a team. Um, on the shift pattern here, likewise. So it's um, it's hopefully quite a friendly and nurturing. And are those the operational teams that don't get more than six? So they look after a country or a particular type of. Uh... Uh, they tend to look after the yeah. So you've got the tracking and travel management team here, um, and they'd be about that number. And then you have the operational team here, and that's that split into two. So one deals with the day-to-day -day stuff, the toothache, and you're in Madrid, and you've got a business meeting tomorrow morning, and you don't speak Spanish, and guess what's the weekend? That sort of stuff. That's quite low-level stuff. You then have the as I said, what we refer to as a grown-ups table, similar sized team, um, and they uh, tend to have done sort of 25, 30 years in some of the services. Um, and if the problem is more dramatic, um, um, requires a more multidimensional solution, they're the people that will be offering guidance to the, the younger team very okay. often. Is there anything that you've done, again, from a cultural or, or people management perspective that you would describe as, as particularly innovative or radical here? If you are seen consistently to treat people decently within the organisation, then, and that, that means, because you, when you're not a big company, you don't have a lot of money, um, and you're still seen to 
to put yourself out there for an individual. The company is seen to put itself out there for an individual who maybe is sick and is going to, and they're perhaps they've only been here for a few weeks, you know. And the law of the land says, oh, you can cut them free. Um, well, okay, but everyone then thinks you're a, not a very <laughs> nice person. And what happens to them when they get sick? So it's a very straightforward thing. Um, whereas by a few standby standby individuals, um, everyone else relaxes and feels more looked after and that they're not going to be cut loose at the first sign of trouble yeah um, I th- I wouldn't, it's hard to say that's radical a lot of companies don't do it and big corporates are, are bad for it you, and you did mention to me uh, before I came that actually ex-service personnel, ex-policemen have particular skill sets that are very valuable given yeah. the work that you do and sometimes there are people who no longer work in those environments because they've suffered particular experiences that have impacted their ability to maybe work in that environment. But in your environment, it would be a bonus. A bonus. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, and that was certainly what we wanted to do initially: is by getting wounded veterans in. Um, you know, the the best assistance model uh, in the world is the. Um, developed military the, the first class military model they they've got more tools they have the ability to focus huge resource on a very small area um, and these things are run by warrant officers it is it is g1 it is the most important thing um, if you are fighting in a war and a soldier goes down and dies because he's not being looked after by the um, logistics chain uh, everybody downs tools and goes home um, so it's very very important um, and and so by and of course if you've been wounded not that I ever have fortunately um, you have then experienced firsthand that medi medivac chain um, so you're going to be pretty squared away with it. That's it. I, I didn't even cross my mind that there's a there's a, a sense of it's the right thing to do because you believe it's the right thing to do to give people opportunities after they've had experiences where it means they they maybe yeah. can't continue their previous employment, but the fact that actually they're experiences have meant that they can't continue that employment are genuinely valuable to you because they've experienced yeah. what that your clients go through yeah. that's like it's a win for every, yes, everybody but it's, and, but it's not again it's not a cerebral exercise it's very basic it's common sense yeah it? yeah as you grow and you become one of those bigger players yeah what would you like NGS to be like as a place to work in say let's say five years time um, I'd like it to, to to continue to have the culture that I think, anyway, perhaps you should ask everyone next door, um, that it has. Um, if you think we're 50-odd people now, um, battalions in the army are you know, 600, 650, and they still manage that by keeping the units about the same size. The fire team is four people, the section is eight people, the platoon is 30-odd um, people, um, uh, the company is... Yeah, 90 people and so if you're keeping it in those units yeah. everyone should be able to sort of continue to do their job and yet there is a very clear promotion line up through it yeah um i've got a meeting tomorrow to discuss who's being promoted who's getting paid more well shocking <laughs> um but it's done basically on that um and as i said it's done by an ex-warrant officer who taps you on the shoulder and says right it's time for this conversation again yeah um so it sh- there's there's size shouldn't stop that uh and what would you like your customers to be saying about you in the future there's a suite of products and services um, that up until really a year ago we did most of them and we did some of them much much better than everyone else but you have to have 
all of them. You have to have training exercises and um, the ability to get people on the ground to audit. Um, to you know, anyway, there's a myriad of things, and it's only really in the last year to eighteen months that we've had all those things. Okay. When this new technology comes online, it's going to put it all together in a very user. Basically, if you're head of HR in a company, you get on your phone, you'll be able to run your entire department from that um, in a very easy, user-friendly way. Um, if, if something happens, not only will you be informed of what's going on, but we'll be able to work out where all your people are and give you a feed out straight away and what we're doing about the two people that haven't checked in, da, 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 and the whole problem goes away. So when your board turns around to you as the head of HR and says, what are we doing? Bang, and you look golden. Um, and that really is days away now. Um, yeah. And so hopefully the, the, the client's um, experience will be really quite relaxed and smooth. Final question, what would you like employees who work here to be saying about NGS? <laughs> oh God. I just, I like them to be having a nice time. I like them to stay. Um, uh, and we do move people within the different departments quite a lot. Um, it's extremely hard work doing what the guys here in the operations, the guys and girls do here. It's extremely hard work. And the shift patterns on weekends and night times and, and such like. And so after a year or two, once they really understand the core product, very often they'll then move across. So there is that opportunity to sort of um, not let the pressure build up too much and move on. And um, yeah, I'd like them to think that it's a career, really, and not yeah. just you know, oh, nine to five. An incredibly unusual and, from the sound of it, rewarding career, though. Yes, yeah, indeed. You're kind of like global superheroes. <laughs> don't know about that. Actually, like everybody else, you sit in front of a computer all day. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, the the, the resources we can we can get to what we refer to as the point of incident are extraordinary. They are e extraordinary. Um, we've evacuated oil rigs from southern Libya. Well, I. There's not another company in the world that can do that. We had eight people when the Arab Spring hit, and some of the biggest companies, indeed the British government, the Canadian government, had to come to us. And that gives, hopefully, employees a bit, a bit of pride. It's nice to be the best. Um, and and I, I, I certainly believe that they, they, they know they are. Yeah. I tell them enough they are. So <laughs> Thank you very much. I really you. enjoyed the conversation. Next week, I'm talking to Leanne Katz, founder of Mama.Codes. They operate with what some might say is extreme flexible working. Find out how they make it work and why Leanne thinks this will be a critical part of their future growth by tuning in next week. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people find us and to spread these ideas. If you end up testing any of the ideas shared in this show in your own organisation, please tell us about it at getintouchatthepioneers.co.uk. We love to hear your stories. Until next time, thank you for listening.